Chapter twenty nine of the Emancipation of South America by Bartolome Mitre, translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr The Armistice of Punchauka, eighteen twenty one. At the commencement of the year eighteen twenty one, the royalist cause appeared completely lost in Peru. Pezuela, at a council of general officers, declared without reserve. Quote, the impossibility of continuing the defence of the country. End quote. This speaks highly for the political and military talents of San Martin, who in four short months had achieved this result. That the Spanish leaders, abandoned by the mother country, should raise up the fallen standard of the king, and with resources drawn from the country itself, should maintain the struggle for yet another four years, speaks quite as highly for their talents and energy. When Badajoz was besieged by the French in 1811, Colonel Menacho, who was the San Martin's first chief, was in command of the garrison. He died, and in a council of war then held, one officer only voted for holding out. The city surrendered. The following year the Regency, with the approval of the Cortes, declared that in such a case, quote, if one officer voted for resistance, even though he was a subaltern, the garrison should not capitulate, and the said officer should take the command. End quote. The leaders of the Spanish forces in Peru maintained that this decision gave them the right to refuse to surrender. The liberal ideas brought by late reinforcements from Spain, while they weakened political authority, strengthened the power of the military element. The ill-concerted measures adopted by the Viceroy to meet invasion, the timid prosecution of the war, and the successes of the Patriots, deepened the antagonism of the different parties into which the Royalist camp was divided. The idea of treachery on the part of the Viceroy became general. It was believed that he contemplated a shameful capitulation. Before adopting extreme measures, the liberal leaders, headed by La Serna and Valdez, prevailed upon Pezuela to create a, quote, junta of war, end quote, which worked like a fifth wheel in a coach, and the inactivity of the viceroy on the occasion when San Martin advanced to Retes precipitated matters. It was resolved to depose him. On the night of the 28th of January, 1821, La Serna withdrew from the encampment at Asnapuquio. The next day, Canterac and Valdez paraded the army, and the officers being convened to a council of war summoned the viceroy to lay down the supreme command in four hours quote, as the only means of preventing disturbances and preserving peru to spain pezuela resigned and the power fell into the hands of the spanish constitutionalists who were thus forced in defence of the rights of the mother country to fight in the cause of an absolute king against their own principles as upheld by the patriots of america the first act of la serna now viceroy was to invite san martin to send commissioners to a conference and for the purpose of putting an end to the disputes between spaniards and americans san martin joyfully acceded and named guido and alvarado representatives of the patriot cause la serna on his side appointed colonels valdez and loriga the commissioners met at a farmhouse near retes when the spanish officers presented a modification of the proposals of miraflores on the basis of the acceptance of the spanish constitution the others declined to negotiate on any other terms than the recognition of the independence of peru 
Alvarado then asked Loriga to walk out with him, leaving the other two to discuss the question. The Spanish officer accepted the invitation, and during their promenade informed Alvarado that they thought of abandoning Lima and retiring to the more healthy highlands, where, with abundant supplies at command, they could easily beat off any attack of the patriots. This information was the only immediate result of the conference, but it gave rise to further negotiations on the basis of the establishment of the independent monarchy of Peru. The change of viceroys in no way improved the position of the royalists. On the contrary, fresh disasters befell the army of Lima, and the new general fell into the same errors as his predecessor. The scarcity of provisions became worse in the city, and yellow fever broke out in the army, while the arrival of a royal commissioner from Spain prevented La Serna from taking any decided step. The condition of the Patriot army at Huara was not much better. It also suffered greatly from fever, so that barely a thousand men were fit for a service. San Martin himself fell ill, but his guerillas cut off supplies from Lima, and expeditions along the coast or in the highlands kept the enemy in continual alarm. On the 25th of March, the envoy from the new government of Spain, a naval officer named Abreu, arrived at Huara, where he was well received. Four days he remained there, holding long conversations with San Martin, for whom he conceived a great admiration. At his instigation, La Serna attempted to negotiate privately with San Martin, but San Martin replied that he would listen to nothing which was not proposed officially, and about the same time sent a column of his sickly troops, commanded by Miller, to act under Cochrane's orders against Callao and another under Arenales into the highlands. Then, leaving a strong rear guard in charge of the hospitals and park at Wara, he embarked the rest of his troops in transports and dropped down the coast to Ancon, whence his cavalry, aided by guerillas, scoured the country and shut up the royalists within a small triangle formed by the encampment at Asnapuquio, Lima, and Callao, and there awaited the opening of a formal negotiation. After the liberal movement in Spain in 1820, the revolutionists of South America were no longer spoken of as rebels or insurgents, but were recognized by the home government as belligerents, and were now invited by King Ferdinand, by a proclamation, to treat for peace with their brethren of the old country, quote, as their equals, end quote but they were offered only the constitution of 1812, which they had already rejected by declaring themselves independent, and were threatened with forcible compulsion in case of refusal. This olive branch of peace, wafted across the seas, only supplied fresh fuel to the flames of war. Envoys from Spain, bearing this message of peace, had reached the northern part of the continent in December 1820, during an armistice between Bolivar and Morillo. They had persuaded Bolivar to send Colombian commissioners to Spain, but in April 1821, before anything could be known as to their prospects of success, hostilities recommenced, and there were no further attempts at negotiation. To Mexico also the same message was sent, a message apparently one of peace and conciliation, which, when looked into, was seen to mean submission or war, and to which, in Mexico as elsewhere, answer was given in one formula, independence or war. 
when in 1820 the revolution broke out in Spain, the revolution in Mexico was crushed. General Vicente Guerrero, with a handful of men, alone upheld the flag of insurrection in the rough country to the south. In Mexico, the movement was chiefly the work of the indigenous element of the population, and assumed the character of a rising of the proletariat against the superior classes, thus arousing a spirit of resistance in the country itself, which powerfully aided the efforts of the royalist troops for its suppression. But amid this discord of opinions, a sentiment for independence was latent in the hearts of all, so that the defeat of the insurrection combined with the liberal movement in Spain to bring about a pacific evolution. The proclamation of a liberal regime in the mother country produced in Mexico a split among the various parties who had upheld the colonial system. While Spaniards became absolutists or constitutionalists, the natives became republicans or monarchists. Apodaca was at that time viceroy. He put himself at the head of a reaction, and is said to have been incited thereto by the king, who, fearful of the fate of Louis the Sixteenth, proposed withdrawing from Europe to Mexico, there to reign with absolute power, free from the trammels of a constitution. This reaction could not triumph without the aid of the native monarchists. Among the Creoles who had served in the royalist ranks, and had distinguished himself by cruelties to his own countrymen, was a man named Agustin Iturbide, then thirty-seven years of age. Unscrupulous in the pursuit of wealth, of life either dissolute or ascetic as best served his interests, and with some natural talent, he was possessed by a secret ambition, in which race patriotism had a place. His sleep was broken by envious dreams of the laurels gained by Bolivar and San Martin, and though lacking the great qualities of either of them, he aspired to be the liberator of Central America. This was the man selected by Apodaca to aid his plans of reaction, by leading the natives to support his policy. He appointed him commandant-general of the South, and sent him with a division of native troops to stamp out the embers of insurrection kept alive by Guerrero. Iturbide soon came to an understanding with Guerrero, and threw off the mask. On the 24th of February, 1820, in the town of Iguala, 127 miles from the city of Mexico, Iturbide published a document known to history as the Plan of Iguala. In it he proclaimed the independence of Mexico, and at the same time hoisted a flag symbolic of the new revolution, a tricolor, white, red, and green, white signifying religious purity, red signifying friendship with Spain, and green signifying the hope of emancipation. The plan was in three parts, from which it took the name of the plan of the Three Guarantees, a name which was also applied to the army which upheld it. The first part stipulated the establishment of the Catholic religion to the exclusion of every other. The second part declared Mexico an independent state under a monarchical government tempered by a constitution. The third part stipulated the union of Americans and Europeans. King Ferdinand was recognized as Emperor of Mexico, if he would come and swear to the Constitution, and after him his brothers in natural succession, in default of whom Congress should name a prince of one of the royal houses of Europe. 
Further, the equality of all the races, indigenous, African, and European, was proclaimed, without other distinction between them than that given by individual merit or virtue. The leaders of the insurrection, with Guerrero, abjuring for the moment their republican principles, placed themselves under the orders of Iturbide for the sake of national independence. The Creoles, who had opposed the revolution, gave in their adhesion to the new plan. The clergy adopted it in hatred of the reforms of the Spanish liberals, the Spanish absolutists in hatred of the constitution, and the constitutionalists for the sake of peace the whole country pronounced in favour of the plan of iguala the royalists conquered without fighting held only the capital the port of veracruz and the fortress of san juan de ulua in july eighteen twenty one iturbide was acclaimed liberator of the country by this means a solution was found for the dilemma submission or independence and war the bond with the mother country was untied but was not broken thus it was understood by odonohu the successor to apodaca who subscribed to the plan of iguala by treaty in august eighteen twenty one in brazil about this time took place an evolution similar to the plan proposed by iturbide while in colombia the armistice was broken and in peru negotiations based on ideas similar to those enunciated in the plan of iguala came to an end we have nothing more to do with the history of mexico suffice it that the spanish government rejected the treaty signed by odonohu that mexico was lost forever to spain that iturbide seated himself on the vacant throne and was crowned emperor only to be deposed soon afterwards and banished on attempting to recover his dignity he was shot the negotiations initiated confidentially by the viceroy of peru were more formally carried forward by an official invitation from him la serna appointed don manuel de llano inajera and don mariano galdiano both of whom were americans as colleagues to abreu san martin appointed guido garcia del rio and jose ignacio de la rosa formerly governor of san juan to represent the patriots the farmhouse of punchauca fifteen miles from lima was made the meeting-place of the commissioners neither party made any preliminary stipulation both professed to be anxious for peace and union the royalist commissioners were instructed to propose the acceptance of the spanish constitution with some concessions in detail in accordance with the spirit of the proclamation of king ferdinand those of the patriots were instructed by san martin to reject the spanish constitution as a bond of union and to insist upon the recognition of the independence of chile of the provinces of river plate and of peru without consenting to any armistice except on this basis in case it were proposed that the patriots should send commissioners to spain to treat of this matter they were to demand as a preliminary the evacuation of lima and were to refuse to enter into any treaty for the conduct of the war which had been spoken of as it had up to then been carried on in accordance with the laws of nations the royalist commissioners opened the discussion by presenting a note on the fourth of may eighteen twenty one stating that in regard to the suggestion made by san martin at miraflores that independence should be secured by the establishment of a monarchy with a sovereign from the royal house of spain they had no power to make any such arrangement and recommended the adoption of the spanish constitution since it was a proof of the liberal sentiments of the spanish government and of their desire for reconciliation 
Further, they proposed an armistice, while commissioners were sent by both parties to Spain, as had been done by Bolivar in Colombia. To this, the Patriot commissioners replied, on the day following, that no negotiations could be entertained except on the basis of the recognition of independence, but in view of the inability of the Spanish commanders to make this recognition, they were willing to consent to a suspension of arms with some guarantee, and that they hoped no further mention would be made of the Spanish constitution, the very name being obnoxious to the liberties of the new world. To this no answer was given, but an armistice of sixteen months was proposed by the royalist commissioners. Then the patriots demanded that the fortifications of Callao should be handed over to them intact, as a guarantee to be delivered up if hostilities should again break out, and their note concluded as follows, quote, If Don José de San Martín be determined to achieve the independence of America, by arms or by negotiation, he is no less desirous of uniting this part of the new world to the mother country by those bonds of friendship and commerce which would redound to the prosperity of both. To the surprise of the Patriot Commissioners themselves, the Viceroy acceded to the terms of the proposed armistice, only stipulating that he should withdraw twelve heavy guns from Callao. It then became easy to arrange the terms of a provisional armistice of twenty days, during which it was stipulated that La Serna and San Martin, accompanied by their respective commissioners, should meet on the 23rd of May. Neither party seems to have acted in good faith on this occasion. La Serna had written, on the 4th of April, to his generals in the Highlands, that he did not believe that the negotiation would lead to any result, and instructed them to occupy advantageous positions which they might hold during a possible suspension of hostilities. San Martin afterwards declared, in a confidential letter to O'Higgins, that the division of Arenales required a rest after passing through the highlands, and that he himself had twelve hundred sick. He knew very well that arrogant Spain would never admit a recognition of independence, which was forced upon her. On the 2nd of June, the interview between San Martin and La Serna took place at Punchauca. The two leaders met very cordially, with expressions of mutual esteem. San Martin proposed the appointment of a regency for the independent government of Peru until the arrival of a prince of the royal house of Spain. The said regency to consist of La Serna as president, with two colleagues, one named by the royalists, the other by the patriots, and offered to go himself to Spain as a commissioner to arrange matters with the home government. Abreu expressed himself warmly in favour of the proposition, and the Viceroy appeared willing to accept it, but desired to consult the various corporations of the Viceroyalty before concluding so important an arrangement, and promised an answer in two days. They then discussed, informally, the mode in which the troops of both armies should unite in a public square of Lima to solemnize the declaration of the independence of Peru. To the interview succeeded a banquet, at which the most friendly toasts were exchanged. In all this the policy of San Martin was fundamentally wrong. He had no authority to make any such proposition. It was not in accordance with the principles for which he fought, and the applause with which it was received by the monarchists of the Holy Alliance implies its condemnation by the Republicans of America. La Serna was more clear-sighted. 
Instead of consulting the corporations, he consulted his officers, who, without absolutely rejecting the proposition, declined to accept it immediately, as it was in direct contravention of their orders, which forbade them to treat on the basis of colonial independence. On this, La Serna sent Valdez and Camba to arrange, if possible, with San Martin for a suspension of hostilities, until he had time to consult the home government. On the refusal of San Martin to listen to this proposal, the commissioners again met at Miraflores, and as neither party was ready to resume hostilities, the armistice was prolonged for twelve days and San Martin consented to relax the blockade of Lima so as to permit the entrance of supplies sufficient for the daily wants of the citizens, quote, as he did not make war upon the people, end quote. This measure greatly increased the power of the partisans of the Patriot cause in the capital, and they prevailed upon the Cabildo to make a representation to the Viceroy in favor of peace, to which representation he paid no attention, and it produced great irritation in the army. At this time, San Martin received a visit from Captain Basil Hall of the British Navy, who, in his journal, has given a very graphic account of the policy of the great general. Note, how far his professions were sincere, or if sincere, his plans were wise, it is now very difficult to say. They certainly appeared to many people very judicious at the time, and they were uniformly followed by the success which he anticipated. On the 25th of June I had an interview with General San Martin on board a little schooner anchored in Callao Roads. There was little at first sight in his appearance to engage attention, but when he rose up and began to speak, his great superiority over every other person I had seen in South America was sufficiently apparent. He received us in a very homely style, on the deck of his vessel, dressed in a surtout coat and a large fur cap, seated at a table made of a few loose planks laid along the top of two empty casks. Several persons came on board privately from Lima to discuss the state of affairs, upon which occasion his views and feelings were distinctly stated, and I saw nothing in his conduct afterwards to cast a doubt upon the sincerity with which he then spoke. The contest in Peru, he said, was not of an ordinary description, nor a war of conquest and glory, but entirely of opinion. It was a war of new and liberal principles against prejudice, bigotry, and tyranny. People ask why I don't march to Lima at once. So I might, and instantly would, were it suitable to my views, which it is not. I do not want military renown. I have no ambition to be the conqueror of Peru. I want solely to liberate the country from oppression. Of what use would Lima be to me if the inhabitants were hostile in political sentiments? how could the cause of independence be advanced by my holding lima or even the whole country in military possession far different are my views i wish to have all men thinking with me and do not choose to advance a step beyond the march of public opinion i have been gaining day by day fresh allies in the hearts of the people the only certain allies in such a war public opinion is an engine newly introduced into this country the spaniards who are utterly incapable of directing it have prohibited its use but they shall now experience its strength and importance when all was quiet in the capital i went to callao and hearing that san martin was in the roads waited on him on board his yacht 
I found him possessed of correct information as to all that was passing, but he seemed in no hurry to enter the city, and appeared, above all things, anxious to avoid any appearance of acting the part of a conqueror. For the last ten years, said he, I have been unremittingly employed against the Spaniards, or rather in favour of this country, for I am not against anyone who is not hostile to the cause of independence. All I wish is that this country should be managed by itself and by itself alone. As to the manner in which it is to be governed, that belongs not at all to me. I propose simply to give the people the means of declaring themselves independent, and of establishing a suitable form of government, after which I shall consider I have done enough, and leave them. Journal of Captain Basil Hall End note. During the rest of the armistice the commissioners kept up appearances by still continuing to meet, while both parties actively prepared for the resumption of hostilities. La Serna detached Canterac with the most healthy of his troops to occupy Duancavelica, thus to be ready to meet the advance of Arenales into the highlands. San Martin returned with all his army to Huacho. On the 4th of July, the armistice having run out, La Serna publicly announced his determination to abandon Lima, and delegated the supreme authority to the Marquis of Montemira. He left a garrison of 2,000 men in the fortifications of Callao, 1,000 sick in the hospitals, and on the morning of the 6th, he marched off with barely 2,000 men by the valley of Cañete. The city was panic-struck. The leading Spaniards fled with their families to Callao. The women rushed to the monasteries. San Martin hastened to reassure the people by a letter to the archbishop, and, faithful to his declared policy, made no attempt to occupy the city. A deputation of the inhabitants waited upon him, asking his protection, whereupon he ordered the guerillas, of whom they were most afraid, to retire from the neighbourhood, and surrounded the city with a cordon of regular troops, placing them under the orders of the civil governor. Still the citizens could not believe that he was acting in good faith, till an order from the governor to a regiment of cavalry, which had encamped a mile and a half from the city, to retire to a great distance, was at once obeyed. When confidence was restored, and at the invitation of the authorities, at sundown on the ninth, a division of the army entered the city amid the shouts of the populace. The next day, after sundown, San Martin, accompanied only by an aide-de-camp, rode quietly through the streets of the city to the palace of the viceroys where the citizens thronged to give him welcome, and the members of the cabildo, hurriedly convened, presented him with an address. He soon wearied of their enthusiastic protestations of regard, and, remounting his horse at half-past ten, he rode out to the village of Mirones, halfway to Callao, where he had established the headquarters of his army, as a preliminary step to laying siege to the fortress on the eleventh he issued various proclamations to the citizens and the royal arms were torn down from over the doors of the public offices the escutcheon of peru being put in their place with the inscription lima independiente san martin also issued a proclamation to the inhabitants of the liberated departments calling them to arms and promising with their assistance to finish the campaign in forty days but he took no active measures in furtherance of this project 
Apparently he attached too much importance to the possession of Lima, for, with the exception of Trujillo, the country had as yet made no effort to second him, and remained passively watching the course of events. The Viceroy, with his dispirited army, was allowed to retreat almost unmolested, though his loss by desertion was very great. Canterac was already securely established in the highlands. San Martin here repeated the mistake he was guilty of after Chacabuco. Again he showed want of energy in following up a victory. He attached too much importance to the success which had so far attended his political combinations. End of chapter 29